0: Hello and welcome back to the Rheumatology.Physio podcast. So this month we have a really exciting podcast that I recorded a couple of nights ago now as I'm recording this introduction with Professor Bhaskar Das Dasgupta. And he is a really on, um, eminent um, rheumatologist and he was very gracious giving up his time to have a chat with me. Uh, Professor Das Gupta is a Professor of Rheumatology at Southend University Hospital and he has a lifelong interest in PMR and GCA and during the chat you will notice some really cool um, things that he has done over time with regards to setting clinics up and um, innovating in the space of polymyalgia rheumatica, rheumatology and noticose practice in general. So super fascinating. Just before we do get into the chat, a couple of things that I want to steer your attention to. Um, I am going to try and do a few more of these interview type podcasts. Hopefully we'll be able to get Mike Dare onto some of them as well. Unfortunately, he was unavailable um, for this recording, um, but fingers crossed he will bring his lovely South African accent onto some of the recordings in future. I'm also going to branch into trying to do some live streams, Um, hopefully one of those a month, just commenting on things that have been in the media or interesting research or things that I've learned. Um, And of course, we will continue to do the blog reads as well, um, coming through the podcast platform. So please do hit subscribe um, on any podcast channel that you um, may enjoy using. And also, finally, um, just before we get into this chat, I have now finally succumbed to popular request and built a Facebook page for rheumatology.physio so just type rheumatology.physio into Facebook and you can follow it there if that is your preferred social media platform of course we're still on Instagram and Twitter which um, I am endeavouring to use Instagram and Facebook just as often as I get onto Twitter Um, so please do go find it there so I'm going to leave us into this amazing chat. So much detail on polymyalgia rheumatica, um, a really challenging um, diagnosis. And um, Professor Das Gupta makes it so much easier and hopefully clarifies a tonne of things for all of those of you, uh, especially in first contact practitioner roles, but also private practitioners, um, MSK, assessment clinics, all those kind of things. This is going to be super helpful. So enjoy the chat and I'll see you on the next podcast. So um I'm here today with uh, Professor Das Gupta, who's and I'm um, absolutely delighted that he's uh, come on to join me to talk about some things regarding polymyalgia rheumatica, and we're going to try to unravel some of the myths and um, help physiotherapists and musculoskeletal practitioners um, to recognise, onwardly refer as appropriate, um, and maybe even manage a little bit as well. Although that's a difficult topic for us at the moment um and then um hopefully get, get some good information so we all understand the condition a little bit better um so the first thing um would you just uh, introduce yourself a little bit to to the listeners and um you've got an amazing career to date you've done some um brilliant things and continue to do so so just a, a quick introduction to yourself if you don't mind
1: thank you very much jack for inviting me to your podcast so um yes um I'm Bhaskar Dasgupta. I'm a a consultant rheumatologist, um, and I've spent uh, uh, all my working life at uh, Southend University Hospital in the rheumatology department, and uh, uh, most of it has been treating lots of uh, general rheumatological conditions, but uh, I've always had a very, very special interest uh, right from my training days in uh, two conditions, polymyalgia rheumatica, and giant cell arthritis and uh, uh, originally when I was a trainee at Guy's Hospital um, as a arthritis research council trainee um, I uh, worked on polymyalgia rheumatica giant cell arthritis and I was uh, very lucky to be the first to describe uh, raised uh, levels of interleukin-6 in these two conditions Uh, which is now, of course, being used to treat these uh, uh, conditions, giant cell arthritis with tocilizumab. Uh, But I've maintained that uh, interest in these two conditions. And over the years, we've uh, published lots of interesting uh, papers, including the BSR guidelines on PMR, BSR guidelines on GCA. Uh, We've published the ULAR-ACR guidelines, uh, for a diagnosis of PMR, the classification criteria, the treatment guidelines, and of course, uh, we've had um, a lot of luck in developing the fast track approach to GCA ultrasound-guided diagnosis of GCA, and and have had a personal involvement in bringing tosilizumab uh, to patients with GCA uh, in uh, the United Kingdom, uh, amongst many other things, and most recently. Uh, we have described the HALO score, uh, which looks at the quantification of ultrasound in the diagnosis and assessment of GCA so, and the probability score. So, yes, uh, life has been very busy uh, looking at uh, uh, research and uh, the treatment of PMR and GCA.
0: Thank mm. you. And, and you say luck I think there's been a quite a lot you've been very humble there I think there's a lot of um, intelligence skill and hard work to be put in for to achieve all of those things I think um and certainly the the parts that I've uh in, in, involved myself in is not the right word but, but read the guidance and things that you've been published in, in is, is is amazing and I think that um you know rheumatologists as a whole obviously I'm biased which is the specialism I've chosen as well. But rheumatologists, to me, do seem very passionate and get very involved in, um, in the research and making sure they do the best for their patients. I just wondered about um, with regards to PMR and GCA, have you had much involvement with physiotherapists um, and MSK sort of practitioners as well? Or is, do you feel like it's been more of a rheumatologist and rheumatology nurse-led process that you've been down?
1: That is a very, very interesting question, Jack. And I, um, perhaps I might be wrong, but uh, um, I think that uh, we uh, were the first to describe the entire term musculoskeletal. <clears throat> the first musculoskeletal clinic, uh, in certainly one of the first musculoskeletal clinics in the United Kingdom was uh, the clinic that we set up at Southend uh, University Hospital, um, where I worked alongside uh, a consultant physiotherapist very good uh, uh, highly trained consultant uh, physiotherapist we uh, developed the musculoskeletal clinic and uh, what we did was that we um, uh, tried to apply the same tenets the principles that we advocated uh, in the uh, bsr guidelines on polymyalgia rheumatica for example looking at people with shoulder pain from different conditions and then we saw these patients in the muscular skeletal clinic and the musculoskeletal part was dealt with and uh, patients who had more uh, medical problems uh, um spmr uh, were the ones that i got involved with much more so right from inception i've always advocated that we must have multidisciplinary um, team and that includes rheumatologists that includes um, uh physiotherapist that includes nurse specialists
0: yeah brilliant and uh, it's fascinating to to understand that process as to how that was developed that's that's um, amazing um i think we we spoke just before we started recording that personally i feel like uh, poly i've come quite late in my journey to polymyalgia rheumatica as something where uh, i spent a lot of time trying to understand rheumatoid arthritis a lot of times um axial spondyloarthritis and those kind of conditions and i feel like only relatively recently have i sort of turned my attention to polymyalgia rheumatica do you feel like uh, in your experience that's something that um outside of the rheumatology uh, environment it it does get a little bit forgotten about um as a condition and a bit a little bit ignored or what do you think well
1: i i think that's a very interesting question Um, i do feel that um polymyalgia rheumatica suffers from problems with diagnosis, and by that I mean uh, at the same time it is underdiagnosed as well as being overdiagnosed. So um, often we get other conditions being labeled as polymyalgia rheumatica and treated with uh, corticosteroids, uh, leading to an overdiagnosis of the condition, and yet Uh, when patients present with real, genuine polymyalgia rheumatica, that often gets uh, uh, underdiagnosed and either left alone or, um, you know, uh, doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, they keep searching for other diagnoses uh, where um, uh, the diagnosis of PMR is being missed. So, yes, um, I think it is very important that physiotherapists keep in mind um, the diagnosis of EMR. For example, um, you know, uh, when you're dealing with patients with uh, shoulder problems uh, and with rotator cuff problems and capsulitis, the very fact that, for example, a patient has got bilateral shoulder pain um, should alert the physiotherapist, should alert the GP that uh, they're dealing uh, with. A condition which could be polymyalgia rheumatica. So yes, um, uh, I feel it's very important that uh, musculoskeletal practitioners, such as physiotherapists, should be very much aware of this condition.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I totally agree with you, which is why we're having this conversation. Um, I think um, one of the things that um, really interests me and I'd like to get your opinion on is, is this um, this overdiagnosis, because uh, I think there's, there's obviously both sets have a problem, but when you look at uh, patients, let's, let's say someone's got fibromyalgia and you start treating them with, with the corticosteroids, it, it tends to be a big problem. Um, so what do you feel like the, um, where do you feel like the reasoning process falls down um, in either with GPs or physiotherapists that lead them down that route? What is it that, they, they obviously make a step they shouldn't have made. What is, what is that reasoning step, do you think, most commonly?
1: I think, um, the first of all, um, the GPs, physiotherapists, really need to sharpen up the definition of uh, polymyalgia. And uh, really, to put it in very simple terms, I think of the polymyalgic syndrome. And by polymyalgic syndrome, I mean what's called a proximal pain and stiffness syndrome. So polymyalgia, it's not any old aching. It has to be shoulder and hip girdle aching along with stiffness. So you must have a bilaterality uh, of pain. Uh, Shoulders must be involved. Hips usually always involved. And they must have early morning stiffness. So uh, if you define polymyalgia in those terms, you're unlikely to, for example, overdiagnose fibromyalgia because if you uh, then take specific history, you will find out that patients with fibromyalgia don't have uh, bilateral shoulder and hip girdle pain with stiffness. Um, And uh, you can then uh, make a diagnosis of fibromyalgia But uh, the important point uh, that Jack, uh, you know, uh, I talk about is um, some of what's called the 10 top tips uh, in the making a diagnosis of polymyalgia. First of all, you need to recognize that the polymyalgic syndrome does not mean PMR. So many conditions can ache, can have proximal aching and stiffness and yet not be PMR so that's the first thing and amongst them uh, you have to think of the rheumatological conditions you have to think of uh, uh, say um, uh, you know mechanical shoulder conditions uh, such as rotita cuff such as uh, capsulitis you have to think of chronic pain you have to think of more serious infections um, deep-seated infections uh, and cancer because those also come into the differential diagnosis, and you've got to think of metabolic conditions. For example, people with endocrine problems—you know, thyroid overactivity, underactivity—you um, know, other neurological problems—they can also cause uh, musculoskeletal aching and stiffness. So you need to recognize what's called the polymyalgic syndrome, and then defined PMR very specifically. Now, there are some clues. For example, PMR rarely occurs under 65, although we say that it can occur above the age of 50. But generally, in the 50s, it's not very common. So if you limit uh, the suspicion of PMR to people above 65, you're more likely to be right than wrong. If you then uh, define PMR as bilateral, shoulder pain. So it has to be new onset. So in fibromyalgia, for example, you will see that patients have had the symptoms for five years, 10 years, 15 years, whereas PMR is an abrupt condition. So patients will actually tell you, doc, I started aching on the 5th of January, literally as precise as that. So uh, PMR is a bilateral new onset shoulder pain. And also, if you all agree that we don't diagnose PMR unless you have raised inflammatory markers. So I know there are case series where uh, PMR has been diagnosed with normal blood tests, but that's very, very uncommon. So one should really make sure that the blood tests show raised inflammation, by which I mean, for example, the CRP has to be at least above 10. And... Very, very important, you need to make a specific uh, search for non-PMR clues. And by non-PMR clues, uh, I mean some simple things. Number one, you should try and make sure that you don't diagnose PMR in younger patients, because more often than not, you're likely to be wrong. Uh, Younger patients are likely to have other conditions. Number two, make sure that uh, you don't diagnose PMR in patients who've got spinal problems. Now, uh, PMR generally affects the shoulders, affects the hips, really affects the spine. And I have seen in my practice uh, lots of patients with uh, serious or less serious spinal conditions um, being diagnosed uh, as PMR. PMR rarely occurs in the absence of shoulder pain. So if a patient comes to you with aching around the hips without the shoulders being involved, take it from me, that's not PMR. You need to be thinking of specific hip conditions. You need to be thinking of pelvic conditions. You need to be thinking of lower spinal conditions, circulatory problems, uh, and all those things uh, can be misdiagnosed as PMR. So uh, generally, uh, without shoulder pain, don't diagnose PMR. There are other important features not to diagnose PMR if your blood tests are totally normal. So if your CRP is totally normal, ESR is totally normal, don't diagnose PMR. If you have very high CRP, very high ESR, don't diagnose PMR. So because it's more likely that, patient is uh, going to have a more serious condition like infection like cancer something else uh, it can happen that uh, that patient has pmr but it's unlikely so um, generally men again are not always um, you know uh, uh, you know liable to have pmr we know that women get it uh, more often than men so i make a more scrupulous uh, you know scrutiny for other conditions if men uh, present to me with symptoms that might look like PMR. So first of all, you need to have a uh, approach which excludes other conditions uh, in a stepwise manner. So you need to include people with new onset bilateral shoulder pain, raised inflammatory markers, older patient, and then stepwise, you need to exclude infection, cancer, GCA, now that is a very important condition. So giant cell arthritis, of course, uh, is a condition which we treat with higher doses of steroid, and it can have other complications. But many patients with giant cell arthritis also get polymyalgic symptoms. And when these patients with GCA get polymyalgic symptoms, the patient then goes to the doctor or the physiotherapist or whoever, And they don't talk about their headaches or GCA. They talk about the fact that they can't move and they're getting aches and pains and stiffness. So they get misdiagnosed as PMR. And in fact, actually, the patient has GCA. So you need to make sure that the patient does that GCA, infection, cancer, rheumatological conditions. But you need to make sure that you're not over-treating a less serious condition like fibromyalgia because... Uh, most patients will respond to steroids. So you get these patients, uh, corticosteroids, and they all respond. And steroid response is very, very nonspecific. So, you know, there's this mythology uh, in in the medical literature that PMR is a steroid-responsive disease. It is. It does respond to steroids. But many other conditions also respond to steroids. And more importantly... Serious conditions can respond for a few days, few weeks to steroids. So one has to be very, very circumspect. More importantly, you need to do a basic set of blood tests before you uh, pick up the pen and prescribe steroids. And these blood tests are very simple. You need to do their blood count, you need to do their kidney, you didn't need to do the liver function test bone profile, calcium, vitamin D, uh, CRP, ESR, the rheumatoid tests, because rheumatoid arthritis often in the older patient can present as PMR. So you need to check the rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP. And once you've done your basic tests, which also includes some endocrine tests like the thyroid function, uh, once you've done these tests, once you've seen the results, and that's when you actually treat the patient with corticosteroids. Now, the big mistake that um, doctors often make is to make a diagnosis of PMR, start the steroids, and then do the blood test. And that's useless because the steroids have a big effect on the blood tests. So if the diagnosis is PMR, if there is no hint of GCA, I would advocate that we wait and we get these tests back, look at these results, and then start steroids. And one very, very important uh, uh, um, precaution that we need to take is the dose of steroid. So starting patients on high doses of steroid is not a good idea. So higher the dose of steroid, the more non-specific the response. So you need to start on a lower dose, and in PMR, we have worked out that 15 milligram prednisolone daily is more than adequate for most patients. Sometimes we may have to go up to 20 milligrams, but basically 15 milligrams works for 90% of our patients. you start them on steroids, and then in, within a month, you get them back, and then you evaluate their response. And when we talk about response, we, we are talking about pain, their global response, their stiffness, but very, very important to analyze their disability. As a physiotherapist, you must know a lot about uh, disability. And disability in PMR actually gives you uh, the clue uh, about what you're uh, dealing with. For example, patients with PMR may not tell you that they are stiff, but what they'll tell you is that they can't get out of bed. So they have a disability with rising, they can't reach Uh, to get something above their head or pick up something from the floor. They can't dress or undress. Uh, These are things that they do first thing in the morning. They can't get on and off a toilet. So hygiene is uh, uh, impaired. They can't walk. So if you took these simple five questions, rising, reaching, dressing, undressing, hygiene, and walking, you will pick up most of your patients with PMR. So uh, we need to be looking at function. So then you see these patients after a month and you look at their uh, global response in terms of pain, stiffness, disability, and also you look at their blood markers. And generally, if it is PMR, you will find that the inflammatory markers have shown at least a 70% improvement. So that's what uh, I keep talking about is that you need to have a 70% improvement in pain, 70% improvement in stiffness, 70% improvement in inflammatory markers. And once you've got that, then you can make a proper diagnosis of PMR and follow that patient up on a regular basis. So these are some of the ways, the strategies uh, uh, that one has to prevent overdiagnosis on one hand and underdiagnosis of the condition.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, you phrase all that—that's such good information. The way you phrase that as well, because I think it's a really nice um, way of setting things out. Like you said, if you, because I can imagine from your point of view, let's say you do someone diagnoses polymyalgia rheumatica in um, in in the GP surgery or something, and and they do the they provide them steroids before they do bloods and they don't wait a month and they don't see what their response is like. And then the patient doesn't respond to steroids and they go, oh, I don't know what to do with this patient now. i better refer them to the professor. And then you pick them up with this sort of mess where they're on steroids. So it's suppressed their their bloods and whatever else is going on. And then I, I, I suspect you're then sort of um, trying to find a needle in a haystack because you haven't got the information that you would like to base that diagnosis off then. Um, so it, it, it really, it needs to be, as you said, that stepwise fashion. I was wondering about at what point, because if, if I can imagine that rheumatologists don't want all these polymyalgia um, syndrome patients referred to rheumatology clinics, otherwise you'll sort of drown in them. So at what point would you say that um, the patient needs to then go on to rheumatology for further uh, either investigations or, or management plans. I'm assuming it's not at that point if they've responded to the 70%. Um, but is there anything in, that, in those stepwise fashions, either early on or at that month point that you would say then is a good indicator to be referring to rheumatology?
1: I think that's a very, very good point. Uh, you can take two uh, different uh, approaches to it. Um, and sometimes I uh, feel... That uh, if we could make an early diagnosis and make a diagnosis of PMR, confirm it, and say, yes, it is in, indeed PMR, and endorse a management plan, then rheumatologists actually could have a diagnostic clinic, a sort of a fast track PMR clinic, where you uh, saw these patients, confirm the diagnosis, and send them back to the GP, uh, say, yes, use 15 milligram prednisolone. This is the British Society of Rheumatology tapering guideline, and this is what you monitor and send them back if you need to. So that is one way forward. So you saw the patients, made a diagnosis or uh, excluded that diagnosis of PMR and made a management plan for the patients with PMR and send them back to the GP. But what usually happens is actually uh, the GPs often may hang on to this patient. And, uh, you know, uh, the t- typical referral that we get is this patient presented with this condition, say, a year ago, we started steroids, and the patient responded initially. And now I, I can't get the patient off steroids. They're still stuck at 10 milligram per level. What should I do? And I often write back saying that, what do you expect me to do? <laughs> uh, and, uh, so, um, uh, you know, and, and the correct way is somewhere in the middle. I would think that if a GP or a physiotherapist who had interest in PMR saw a patient with typical PMR features in the older patient, around about 65, 70 or older, abrupt onset of symptoms, typical bilateral shoulder pain, raised inflammatory markers. Most importantly, ran through the non-PMR clues, infection, cancer, uh, GCA, rheumatological conditions, chronic pain, metabolic conditions. So did the blood test and didn't pick up anything else on the blood test. Made sure that uh, other PMR mimics uh, were not missed at that point. I would say that you could start the patient on 15 milligram prednis learn. And if the patient has more than 70 percent response, uh, without any other clues, uh, for a, a non PMR diagnosis, I think that patient, uh, could be, uh, you know, managed uh, without being referred to rheumatology. Um, but, um, you know, that is something that requires training. And it needs a change in clinical practice uh, because um, people don't deal with PMR in primary care in that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's quite important. Uh, And the reason I'm speaking to you is that I think uh, training of musculoskeletal specialists, of general practitioners in the approach to PMR is absolutely vital. Because... uh, Uh, you know, people underrate the fact steroids are full of side effects. And, uh, you know, what the uh, uh, person who prescribes the steroids doesn't realize that today the patient might be very happy with the steroids, go away, fantastic response, two years down the line, then they are actually facing the side effects of long-term steroids, such as diabetes, diabetes such as osteoporotic fractures, such as hypertension, such as eye complications, such as uh, muscle problems, such as skin problems, such as mood problems. A big problem with the older person with steroids is it uh, causes depression and it causes sleep disturbance. Uh, So, uh, you know, name it and you get it uh, with corticosteroids. So it's all about training uh, the musculoskeletal uh, practitioner, the GP, to recognize PMR, to assess PMR correctly. And if you can do that, a, a rheumatologist don't need to see every patient referred. On the other hand, if there's a problem with training and we know that we can't uh, actually rely on uh, everyone diagnosing PMR correctly, then a case can be made uh, for having fast-track PMR clinics, which confirm or exclude the diagnosis of PMR and then send them back uh, uh, to the uh, person who is referring saying that yes this is PMR this is how you should treat it or no this is not PMR um, and these are the things that you additionally need to
0: do. Hmm. yeah for sure and i I'm, I'm i'm going to make an assumption as well that occasionally there is some diagnostic uncertainty i remember on the webinar that i watched with yourself you mentioned that a not insignificant number of PMR patients will have some peripheral synovitis as well. Um, and when you've got um, it, it predominantly ladies, I, I suspect that there's a number of them who present with PMR who also have something like hand or osteoarthritis with that being so common, um, that there will be those cases where there's some diagnostic uncertainty where uh, people are sort of uh, flipping between, oh, maybe it might be a rheumatoid arthritic Presentation compared to a polymyalgic uh, um, condition, where that would be a good referral into rheumatology as well, just to make sure. Yeah,
1: uh, absolutely. So, um, uh, in terms of uh, uh, referrals into rheumatology, diagnostic uncertainty is very important, and uh, certainly if you're not sure uh, about the diagnosis, uh, you should never just throw steroids at that. Point. And uh, because that's what people do. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, there's a term that uh, people use called atypical PMR. Atypical PMR does not exist. Is it PMR or is it not? And if it is not PMR, you have to try and find out what it is. Uh, The fact about the peripheral synovitis is more difficult because we actually don't understand very well, even now, where polymyalgia ends and where inflammatory arthritis begins. We just don't understand. So polymyalgia is a clinical syndrome, and it sits between two poles. On one hand, you have vasculitis, as giant cell arthritis. On the other hand, you have inflammatory arthritis. So, uh, and polymyalgia is somewhere in between. So you have to, in your clinical assessment, make a judgment. Is it polymyalgia on its own? Is it polymyalgia with giant arthritis? Is it polymyalgia more going to its inflammatory arthritis? Now, uh, and it can be all three. uh, So, And sometimes uh, only time tells uh, that you follow that patient and then the patient develops other symptoms. And certainly, if you feel that this is not just polymyalgia, but has a smell of GCA, or has a smell of inflammatory arthritis, you must refer this patient. Because then it's not just about steroids, you need to start thinking of other uh, medications to give them methotrexate, or lunamide or uh, assessment with imaging, PET scans, ultrasound scans, etc., to uh, look for other conditions. So diagnostic uncertainty is an absolute uh, category of referrals to rheumatology. There is another important category of referrals to rheumatology, what we call relapsing PMR. So a patient uh, uh, initially responds to 15 milligram pregnancy load, But as you gradually reduce the dose of steroid, you find that the patient starts relapsing and the patient uh, has more symptoms, has more stiffness, the inflammatory markers go up. And the inflammatory markers uh, you know, uh, may have gone down, and then they st- suddenly again start uh, going up. And uh, that uh, uh, persistent raised inflammatory markers uh, with relapses as a definite uh, r- uh, referral to the rheumatology department. One important uh, symptom that I didn't mention, uh, what I call as constitutional symptoms. Constitutional symptoms, I mean weight loss. I mean uh, uh, drenching night sweats or day sweats or low grade temperatures. And all those things can occur in PMR. And if you have predominant constitutional symptoms happening regularly, Rest assured that you might be dealing with something else, either GCA or something more serious uh, like infection, like cancer. One big uh, form of cancer that actually often mimics rheumatological conditions is lymphomas. So lymphomas can often be very slow growing and they can have lots of constitutional symptoms, what's called B symptoms. And, uh, And they can respond to steroids lymphomas respond to steroids, and and, uh, you you may find that these patients who initially respond to steroids, but relapse quickly uh, as you reduce the steroids. So relapsing PMR is a very, very uh, important um, indication for an immediate rheumatology referral. So diagnostic uncertainty, presence of uh, non-PMR clues, relapsing PMR, um, where the patient is not getting better, also, the presence of other comorbidities. You know, patients uh, often come as a package. You know, they have other medical conditions. You know, whether they have cardiac condition, they have a renal condition, they have diabetes, they have osteoporosis. So if a patient with all these other medical conditions develops PMR, you may need to refer that patient. If the patient has got risk factors to corticosteroids, if there is history of osteoporotic fractures, if there's a history of diabetes, if there's history of hypertension, uh, et cetera, where steroids may not be as safe as you would like. You must refer. So these are some of the uh, indications for referral. Diagnostic uncertainty, relapsing PMR, presence of comorbidities, uh, uh, a presence of risk factors to corticosteroids. And and of course, there are patient-specific factors Sometimes, you know, a a patient uh, is different from another one. So when you're not quite sure about compliance, adherence, uh, you know, regular precautions about, uh, uh, you know, avoiding steroid side effects. And and that is also definitely an indication for referral. One important indication for referral may be just about education. You know, uh, uh, sometimes to clear the air, about the condition, about the treatment, you might just need a, another second opinion and there's nothing wrong with that. So that more or less covers the different uh, conditions, uh, different, uh, uh, you know, indications for a rheumatology referral.
0: Brilliant. I mean, I could talk to you all night, but um, I just wanted, just wanted to qualify just a little bit on, on one mm-hmm. of those things you just said. You said about the relapsing PMR when, when you brought the steroids down, would, it, would you advocate for the referral onwards if, they, um, if their symptoms returned that first time? Or would it be a case of try again for a second time to bring the symptoms down? Or would it be refer to rheumatology immediately as soon as they get the symptoms come back after the steroids titrate? But, yeah,
1: it, it depends on uh, you know, to what extent they had control of their symptoms on steroids and to what extent they have the relapse uh, mm-hmm. as you lower the steroids. So um, in the first instance, if you're dealing with an appropriate age group, say a 70-year-old lady who has typical PMR symptoms, with the crazy inflammatory markers, uh, has got no other non-PMR clues, uh, and you give her 15 milligram prednisolone, and you've had a 70% response, Uh, after the first month's assessment in terms of pain, stiffness, inflammatory markers, which have become normal. Uh, And uh, then you continue reducing the steroids. And then you find that the patient uh, develops pain, stiffness, raised inflammatory markers. So I wouldn't think that that's an indication for referral. You may wish to go back to the previous higher dose of uh, steroids that worked for that patient. So we normally say, say 15 milligrams for three weeks, 12.5 12.5 milligram for three weeks and then 10 milligram prednisolone. And so uh, basically uh, at weeks six they should be around about 10 milligram prednisolone. And uh, then you gradually start reducing further. And with that uh, gradual reduction of steroids, if they have a minor flare, previously they've responded very well to the steroids and there's no other question about diagnostic uncertainty. I would say that just put up the dose of steroid back to the previous dose and see how the, this happens. But I would say that more than one flare should be an indication for referral. On the other hand, if a patient uh, right at the start you were not quite sure about and uh, had non-PMR type of clues, some diagnostic uncertainty, and you uh, had a, some response to, say, 15 or 20 milligram prednisone as soon as you've started reducing the dose of steroid, patient has a flare. I think in that sort of situation, it's better to refer that patient early.
0: Perfect, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely spot on That's um, answered by question to, to the T, that's brilliant. Well, I don't wanna take up any more of your evening. I'm very grateful for you to, uh, to have a chat with me. I'm going to, um, when this goes out, I'll link to all your educational webinars that you do um, so that anybody can um, can seek those out if they want more information because the uh, the depth that you go into is um mind-blowing and i've i must admit that it um i'm frantically writing notes as i'm listening to you um talk about these things so it's um yeah really excellent um and um i'll i'll pop in your social media and all that kind of thing as well so people know where to find you um but uh, once again thank you very much for for having a chat with me and um maybe we'll get you back on again to talk about gca gca at some point as well
1: absolutely be- um i very. In, in fact i'm doing a webinar uh, end of this month on the approach to GCA. So that's another um, very tricky uh, condition um, uh, and with big cost if you get it wrong in uh, different ways. So yes, um, yeah, uh, that's fine. Is there anything else that you wanted to ask?
0: Oh, thousands of things, but I'll, I'll keep them for another time. I think, because uh, otherwise, otherwise we'll have a ten-hour podcast and no one will get to the end of it. So we'll we'll yeah. just get you back and ask some more questions. I think. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that chat. I think it's going to be really useful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jack, and well, you, you're doing some great work, and all the best. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of your evening.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Bye.